0: we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, the Wundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the Ngunnawal people on Ngunnawal country, the Bindal people of Thalgari Wodja, and the Gabi Gabi people on Gabi Gabi country. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening in today. We recognise the deep connection to land, water, culture and people felt by First Nations folk, and understand the devastating impact of colonisation. Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Loud, Angry, and Not Sorry, where we talk about Australian news and politics from a feminist perspective. My name is Steph, and joining me today is.
0: I'm Leah, and we're also joined by Eva Sless. Welcome. Thank Thank you you for joining us. It's very cool. Thank you for having me. It's very cool to be here. So for folk who don't know you, do you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself?
2: So I'm Eva and I'm a sex educator and sex work activist and general sex positive person extraordinaire. I um, am very, very passionate about sex education of young people and sex education of everybody, actually, like the world of becoming, you know, a far more sex positive and sex educated and sex knowledgeable race of of humans yeah (laughs) I am a writer mostly when it comes to this stuff. I've written a book, uh, like a sex education book for young uh, young women, but it got a little bit far beyond what I thought. It, it's reaching young boys. It's reaching young trans kids. It's reaching young non-binary kids. It's reaching their parents. And I'm getting this amazing feedback all about how, you know, how sex positive I'm I'm making their their lives and their young people's lives, taking away shame and stigma and all that kind of crappy shit that we don't need. Um, and I also write a lot of adult education stuff, which is where I've started i write for a big dating website i'm their sort of leading sex expert is the term which i don't love the term sex expert but it's sort of one that's been you know thrust upon me so i, I kind of stick to it and yeah i um former sex worker in know sort of past life and now i do a lot of speaking about sex work rights and and sort of changing the world and perspectives on on that stuff as well yeah fantastic that's so cool yeah so cool it's fun. <laughs> did did you say you did stuff with Slutwalk as well? Yeah, look, ages ago, not with Slutwalk itself. Um, I met Karen Pickering a few times and then a friend of mine and I were doing some video podcasts on YouTube years and years ago and we did a sort of video about Slutwalk and I wrote a lot about it and I wrote about it for, I think, for Eros Journal as well and was just sort of generally kind of spreading the good word on uh, Slutwalk and, and how it started, what it was about and what it meant to, I suppose, to sluts everywhere. <laughs> Yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's such a great movement Yeah, I, I
2: love it, I really love it One of my favourites, actually <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: I think a, 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 particularly in Melbourne A
0: lot of people feel that way Yes So speaking about, I don't, I don't know Does sex education feed into this article today, Steph?
1: Yeah, I'd say it does Yeah? Yeah, the, well, yeah. at least the way that the article was written
0: <laughs> She needs some sex education, the
1: author She needs some education on how drugs fucking work <laughs> That's my biggest pet peeve, because, you know, like, that's that's the thing that appears in in arguments around trans people and arguments around STDs and around um, contraception. You know, what is an abortificant? (laughs) It's like I'm being forced to listen to the opinion of people who seem to think that ibuprofen can be targeted towards particular body systems.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, isn't that what it does? That's what the yeah. ads show I me mean, a little red circle on my knee, a little red circle yeah. on my elbow.
1: Though, <laughs> fun fact if you actually get ibuprofen for period pain, cis dudes won't touch it, they won't steal it from your desk. <laughs>
2: Oh, okay. If you get the one that specifically says it's for period pain. Yep. Oh, so fragile. (laughs) Wasn't there
0: a company that got fines for false advertising? Nurofen. It was Nurofen, wasn't it? I was just
2: about to say that, yeah, the red circles. They were said you can't, it's literally the same drug in each packet. You can't say it, you know, for knee pain or for back pain or for, you know, period pain. It's all just for pain. Yeah.
1: Reduction in pro-inflammatory cytokines.
2: (laughs) For
0: pain. The the pains. Yeah, the pains.
1: So the article is actually called, to bring it back around, the article is actually called Talk Before Birth Control. Pharmacists to offer counselling. I kind of need Noon's pearl-clutching voice for this one. And it goes on to say, pharmacists would offer birth control counselling to women who want the emergency contraceptive pill or early medical abortion as part of an Australian first trial to reduce accidental pregnancies. Instead of simply handing over the pills, pharmacists would instead ask if a woman would like to take part in a private counselling session on birth control options before referring them to a relevant clinic.
2: So can, can I just stop you there for a second? The thing that really bugs me about that paragraph is instead of simply handing over the pills. Like, yeah, no, the people uh, have never gone into a, a, a chemist before and, and got that's the... Why I got yeah. <laughs> that's okay,
1: why I've got the you know. APF out. It is so insulting. <laughs> it is so insulting because it's a Schedule 3 medication, which um, means that it's pharmacist only, which means that we have obligations. Yes, for those of you who missed it, I am a pharmacist or former pharmacist, I should say. But Schedule 3 medications are... You know, they have their own documentation requirements, they have their own counselling requirements, and counselling doesn't mean what you think it means. It's basically a risk assessment to to make sure that the patient is receiving timely medication, appropriate medication, at an appropriate dose. That's what counselling means.
2: And they already do that. Yes. They already do that. When you have to go in and go and get the morning after pill, you go in... They say, "Oh, cool. Do you know what you're taking?" You fill out a form that asks you know um, what, why you're taking it. You know, did a condom break? Did you miss a pill? Um, did you have unprotected sex? They just want to know, you know, for sort of, I guess, research purposes and stuff. There's no names. There's no anything. But they already do that. You know, they don't just willy nilly hand over pills. And we all know it's going to be the white bread Christian conservatives that read this. They're going to think that mm. you know, young women are going out and rooting in the in the nightclubs and then skipping hand in hand into the chemist in the morning, can we have our pills please? And they chuck them over the counter and you go, yeah, la-da, and off you go, take your pills and kill your baby and, and go and do it next weekend. And that's like literally not how it works anyway. Mm. And everything that they say in that initial paragraph literally already happens when you go into a pharmacy. And ask for the the morning after pill or the emergency contraceptive or whatever. The the right term is for it now. I'm speaking in my 90s brain because I think that was the last time I had to (laughs) take the the pill.
1: Levenol gestural. It's an odd odd article. But also a pharmacist, look, I love my former profession of box labelers. I really do. But that's all that they are. That's all that they're good for. Because the bloody dispensing software tells them exactly what contraindications are. It comes up as a big red flag on your window, you know, and this idea that essentially that a pharmacist is best place for it. When was the last time that I want to know when the, when the author of that ridiculous article went into a pharmacy, went into a community pharmacy and seems to think that there is a place that is appropriate to perform that kind of counselling in the modern pharmacy which is designed you know, you for output out
2: near the, near the, where they have the you know the corn band-aids and the and the stuff for your bunions just sort of pop over there and a the little bit where they have the stool down where you can take your shoe off and show that you know sit there it's fine fine easy but you're right and there is there is no space for that
1: the whole profession is now set up to pump out scripts that's what mm. you're there for you know there is a term for it in the in the in the profession and it's you are a script monkey
0: yeah yeah but also in the article they actually reference a trial and they completely misrepresent the trial
1: yeah which is highly likely considering they <laughs> <you say> misrepresented <laughs> an s3 scheduled drug to prevent abortion and two s4 drugs prescription only that are prescribed by a doctor that you have to go and see And they have to diagnose.
2: There is also a huge difference between taking an emergency contraceptive pill and going for an early abortion. Like there are
1: huge differences
2: in not only the, 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 I suppose, the psychological or personal reasons and how it will affect you, but also the morning after. It was the morning after seventy-two hours within. You know, like you have to. If you miss that, that's when you start maybe thinking, oh, I might have to get an early abortion because i didn't take the morning i felt my periods like i've got a talk and then there are other procedures in place that are full of counseling and full of talking mm. to somebody mm. it's not like just walking in and then chucking a box of pills at you or yeah, chucking a, you a know, vacuum back you suck or whatever at you like all of <laughs> the processes that go through <laughs> and i'm not quite sure who is no it's really frustrating when people who seem to just not quite understand how these procedures work are talking about creating new procedures that seem to be exactly what we already have in place and then acting like they're going to put some big trial on it and it just all to me seems like another way to kind of start another discussion on how shameful it is that that young people are having um, abortions and young people are having um, using contraceptions and I think it's just this roundabout backwards way to start to have another terribly backwards conversation on on dirty sluts and and all that sort of stuff that we have with young young people, especially young cis women and, and their sexuality.
1: I would like to point out there's no such thing as an early abortion. You either have one or you don't.
2: And you're right. These ideas of wording of it, an early abortion, well, you know, that's better than a late term abortion because they're, they're yeah. whipping up and They're doing all this and this idea that people are actually lining up to have a termination by choice. After a certain period of time, it's insulting. It's a word that I've used so many, so much already through our conversation, but so much of this is insulting to the intelligence and autonomy of people just trying to make their own choices. Yeah, frustrating.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it seems like yet again conservative political values and Christian values are just trying to put more barriers in place for people having full bodily autonomy yes. when we actually know the best way to prevent unwanted pregnancy is actually education
2: yeah I absolutely is like proven to the to the nth degree how important it is to have early education about bodies, early education about um, consent and and your own body and touch and who, who can and who can't and all that before you get into anything about sex, you know. But And the thing that really bothers me about it is when we try and have these conversations about consent and we try and have these conversations about body autonomy and talk about we need to start these early and start these these young because I think by the time, you know, the old conservatives are getting to it, they just have no idea the minute you start talking about young people there's this idea that you're going to start talking to them about sex and 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 explicit full-on kind of you know sex porn sex and it's like you know consent on its absolute barest basic terms just means to give permission to somebody to do something around you or to you and that can be anything it has nothing to do with sex you know to a child consent is can I borrow your crayons consent Mm. is can I can I give you a hug consent is can I you know can I put your hair up in a plait or it's 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 just asking someone permission and then giving them the power to respond to that and say yes or no and that is so important for young people's confidence and power in all situations before you even get to the body before yeah. you get to the body in any way.
0: I think also respecting those boundaries and the the child's decisions. Like, Absolutely, yeah. I think that child seeing that the word no means no, it even when Absolutely. even when it's hugging granddad, it doesn't matter. That just Absolutely. sets a precedent for the rest of their lives. It's so important. It really does. And yeah.
2: this, this weird sort of thing, you know, I writing a, a, an article at the moment, which is actually behind deadline. Sorry, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I worked in childcare centres for many, many, many years, you know, before I got into sex stuff, I worked in kindergartens and childcare centres and with with young people with disabilities and stuff, which is sort of what I do now as well as my day job. And one of the first things you teach toddlers, and you will hear it in every childcare centre you ever walk into, is stop, I don't like it. That -hmm. is the first thing you would tell a toddler to tell somebody who's pushed you, who's taking your toys, who's trying to eat your food, who's taking your bag, who's whatever, stop. I don't like it. And and then you tell that other child you need to respond too, stop, I don't like it. You stop and you move away. You say sorry, you give them back their toy, you stop touching them, whatever. And we give these really solid lessons to about two and Mm three-year-olds. And then as they get a bit older and go into the sort of late kindergarten and early primary we change that conversation to he's just being a boy or yeah. oh he does it because he likes you or it's nice to share your things or oh you know everybody uses these crayons or whatever and we start putting these kind of conditions on consent mm. it's only this if that and by the time we get to the teenagers and we're trying to then teach them about sexual consent and body consent and to consent with doctors and 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 big things like that We've backtracked because they're Mm -hmm. suddenly going, oh, but, you know, but I'm allowed to do it in this way because, you know, I've been given that permission through primary school or through early, but I'm I'm just flicking the brass trap because I like her or I'm just, I can take the food off her plate because she's my best friend or whatever. We kind of seem to forget that consent is this sort of fluid conversation that we need to have every day. And I think if we keep it going from that stop, I don't like it as a mm-hmm. toddler to bringing that into the primary school and bringing that into a late primary and then early high school, by the time you're really ready for proper, proper sex education in that sort of year, I'd say eight or nine, you already know everything about mm-hmm. consent. About what bodies do, about how babies are made, about and then you can start talking about emotions and relationships and pleasure and all of that stuff, which is what to me sex education should be. But everything else is body biology, education. Yeah, biology is looking at you know your body autonomy in all ways beyond you know the down and dirty sexy time, like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we can't even tell a child this is your vulva without having massive kind of conniptions in, you know, you can't talk like that to children. By the time they get to year eight or nine sex ed where we're actually trying to teach them about their bodies, you can't even say clitoris without all uh, half the class falling into giggles and you've mm. lost them. Whereas if they already knew those terms and knew these words and knew this stuff before they get into the yeah. stuff where we're really trying to teach them about, the, the I guess the pleasurable and the emotional and connective side of sex beyond the biology and the babies and the and the life cycle of the frogs. <laughs> These conversations are so important, and they're conversations that start from from the minute you meet the little human to the yeah.
1: I will yeah. never forget one of my ad lecturer when we started that part of anatomy um, in first year. She would stand in the front, deadpan face, and go, "Penis <laughs> vagina." <laughs> But her delivery of it was what made people crack up Because it was just so dry And she's going, now that you've got that out of the way Let's start with the lecture
2: And that is, in a nutshell, on that small lecture Is what we need to do Mm. as a lifetime lesson Is get those giggles out of the way And be okay with the fact that it is quite funny Like, penises are funny looking Yeah, it's a funny word you know, you look at a, you look at a muscle, you look at a vulva. Oh my god, they're the same thing. It's the same picture. It's funny. You but, need to spend less time
0: on those incel sites.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not just a ham sandwich. <laughs> but you know, it's this sort of you know, it is funny and it is yeah. a bit, it's silly and it makes weird noises and weird smells and weird everything. Your bodies are ridiculous. In- <laughs> sorts of forms whether they're having sex or going to the toilet or just washing or running or jiggling or laughing when you're naked I mean that's that's just hilarious stuff and you've got to be able to say look this is this is funny and it's you know but it's also serious and it's and it's a big responsibility and it's but yeah it's completely hilarious and ridiculous at the same time and you can't take it too seriously because if you do you're going to end up you know weird in the head i think <laughs> you gotta you you're gotta gonna end it. up a christian conservative exactly <laughs> gotta into the Catholics. like we've got to laugh about and talk about sex in all its weird wonderfulness it's yeah i love sex <laughs> it is
1: I, great. I feel there's, this, there's a book called stuff christians like and it's basically pointing out that essentially you know like you can have heads being flung off blood splattering the audience but the moment you see a nipple no it's bad
2: yeah <laughs> Yeah, shut it all down.
1: We've just seen a nipple, shut it all down.
2: That's it. Party's over. Yep. Nips out. No, go home.
0: Look, I know that like porn is problematic, don't get me wrong, but there's also porn is wonderful. But the fact that people get so outraged about porn, but they do not care about the violence and the murder and the Nazis that's (laughs) happening on TV all of the
2: time. The thing that really bothers me, all of those things that you just mentioned, Beside porn, there are things out there marketed towards children that have all that stuff in it. Yeah, porn I mean. is not made for children. It is not made for kids. And the fact that we use this, you know, this this thing that is not made for children, well, it's not for children. Alcohol is damaging for children. We don't sit there and go, <laughs> oh, no, my child is accessing my liquor cabinet and, oh, I'm going to go and sue Jack Daniels. No, you fucking put a lock on it, and you tell your kid, "I'm sorry, but that is for mummy and daddy and grown ups, and we don't have that." And this is why, because it can feather And yet, for some reason, this big mystery of porn. How are we going to stop the children from, you know, accessing this stuff? Well, firstly, teach them about what it is, what they might see, and if they do see something that is confronting or weird, or that they don't understand, that they have a safe avenue to come to you and say, "Hey, I saw this thing that's weird." But if you've already explained to them about boobs and and things they're not as likely to go seeking it out and they're also not as likely to go seeking it out in places that they might come across something that is absolutely not for a child buys these days and you know the thing that really bothers me is you know there was that big movement and it was the children free to be children I think it was called or kids free to be kids and it was run it was headlined by like um, Noni Hazelhurst, which really upset me I, I was really quite sad about it I was like Noni you're like my second mum I grew up watching you and now yeah. you're like trying to kill my career but this was I was working at Australian People magazine which if you don't know because it's disappeared and gone away it was a really fantastic boobs and butt lads magazine called lads but I All the people I knew who bought it were were, you know, chicks. And it was just glamour models getting their boobs out and funny stories about celebrity nip slips and um and look, the writing was quite jokey and a little bit redneck and a little bit misogynistic in parts, but not really if you got the humour of it and it was all and there was never it was never punching down. We love everything about women and their bodies and their brains and their everything. Anyway, because these kind of magazines like zoo, like picture like people, you could buy them in a service station. Mm. Oh, that was that was it. Children have access to these things in service stations. They've banned them. Magazines don't exist anymore. They've they've gone the wayside. Picture, I think, was the very last one that's finally kind of sort of curled up its toes. And it's really sad. You know, a lot of people's livelihoods were lost and a lot of people were sort of made redundant and had to move on to, you know, go and work for Women's Day or, you know, New Weekly, which is, a you know, really <laughs> highly intelligent and... and um, <laughs> Classy, classy magazine, you know, forget the nipples, you know, what's William and Kate doing this week? Like, but anyway, I digress. Um, but this whole movement of getting rid of these magazines, which to me, a zoo magazine for a 15-year-old cis boy who's curious about boobs and bums is a perfect starter in that sense, they don't exist anymore. So what's he going to do? He's going go to go onto Google, boobs, tits, and bums. Get onto some obscure porn hub rabbit hole, and he's going to find stuff that he should not be finding mm. because it is not made for children. Mm. But they're curious, and they're going to look. And so the best defense against that is not to ban it; it's to educate about it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you know, and when I say that, people get very angry. Oh, you want to show kids porn? I'm like, you don't need to show children porn.
1: The idea is not to show to them porn
2: them about it it's like it's like don't we remember that weird Harold the giraffe and you go going to the life caravan and he taught me about drugs and alcohol. he never gave me a joint I never had a shot with the giraffe <laughs> never, he taught me all about these adult things that I might get to experience when I'm an adult without ever showing me or giving me those products we can do the same with sex and porn education mm. and teach kids about what it is and what it's not because I don't think it's to you know it is literally like shutting down Dan Murphy's because it will ruin a developing child's brain to drink beer or whiskey Mm. and but because it's set and it's not as acceptable as alcohol it's it's this weird icky kind of you know non-married non-monogamous non-cis hetero sex it's bad and wrong and it's really it's really frustrating
1: because of Christianity's organized moral panic about sex. Mm, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, you yeah. know, like, it, and a lot of the discussions that you see with people, you know, particularly people going, like, I'm not trying to be, you know, anti-porn, I'm not trying to be blah, 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 but how do you stop kids? And it's like, okay, first mm. off, number one, I grew up when the internet became a thing in high schools. It was everywhere. It was filling the server, like, to the point at which the IT people actually had to come in and wipe it every night because of how much porn that was being <laughs> de- uploaded to that server I think they left half-life for us so i'm okay with that but you know like it's this kind of thing of going by the time they're in high school they've already seen porn exactly and, and that's my generation as being one of the first to have the internet in high school mm. you know, i can only imagine how saturated those servers are now mm. and going if you're leaving it to the point where somebody's seeing porn to have these discussions mm. it's already too late
2: that's yeah. right like, you know we talk to our kids about you know drugs and alcohol we should you know Mm. talk to our kids about drugs and alcohol before they're going to get and you know and it's around you know mum and dad drinking a glass of wine at the dinner table or going out you know dinner and it's it's around so we can have those conversations but to me there is no difference in those conversations really about the difference between what is for adults and what is for children when we when we teach children about them but we have these weird hang-ups about about sex and that's the thing that I sort of talk to a lot of parents about when they have read the book or they've come to me and asked me questions or they've come to my sort of adult education workshops that I used to run um they're like well how I'm, I'm embarrassed to talk to my kids about this and I don't know how to bring it up because my mum couldn't talk to me about it and I never knew about it but the thing is let them know that it makes you uncomfortable and it, you're nervous about it you're it's okay and it's also okay to not know everything. It's okay to say, hey, look, I don't know much about this. If you've got questions, let's try and figure it out together. You know, let's work this out. Let's learn together. Let, mm. I want to be open to 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 understand what your questions are and what you're curious about because it is hard. And look, I am, you know, expert. Extraordinaire. And yet, and I've got a 17-year-old daughter, and we have <laughs> giggly kind of nervous <laughs> conversations about things because she's my daughter and I'm her mum. And you don't want to hear about your mum, you know, talking about mm. whatever it is, you know. We are very much more open than other people, but there are something it took her a very long time to read my book. I only found out recently that she'd read the whole thing. I, I years I was saying, like, Oh, have you read it? Have you no, 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 you're the talking book mum. I don't need it. I don't need it. <laughs> and then I found out that she was passing it on to her friends at school and all her friends and started to call me Gillian, like um, like Gillian Anderson in the sex education. They were like, oh, your mum's Gillian. Um, <laughs> and I said to her the other day, I said, oh, have you even read it? Because she was asking something about um, getting a Medicare card. And I was like, oh, you know, there's stuff in the book all about that. You know, if you'd read my book, you'd know. She's like, actually, I have read it. I was just clarifying. I'm like, oh, yay. You finally read the book about your mum having sex as a teenager. Woohoo. You know, it's <laughs> awkward? awkward to talk to your kids about sex, but it's okay to say and let them know that it makes you a little bit awkward or uncomfortable and that, you know, that you didn't have the right lessons and that you want them to then yeah. have those lessons that they didn't have and just have a bit more understanding about sex beyond.
0: Babies, yeah. I just feel like if you set the scene before they're introduced to porn, if you let them know what consent looks like and what, like, I don't know if healthy sex is the right way or like healthy relationships and consensual. Or just relationships.
2: relationship sex, yeah, um, or personal sex, intimate sex, it, and because it, health, you no, know, healthy works in a way, but it, it's not saying that porn is unhealthy. It's exactly, just yeah. Thing. There is stuff
0: that's that's shown on porn that is, for me like not okay and that's crossing boundaries which is a conversation that you need to have with children to be like there are if you do see porn there is stuff that you will see that's not necessarily okay like for that person it might be they might enjoy that but that doesn't necessarily mean that you will or that you have to and I think those conversations are important to have before they're exposed to it absolutely they've got an idea of what they're walking into as well
2: yeah, yeah. because yeah, one of the biggest sort of questions I get from you know, mainly young cis women when they write to me or they or I meet them or, you know, they send me emails or whatever, is not so much I've seen this in porn and my boyfriend expecting me to do it, which is the conversation that you hear from the anti-porns. All these girls are having these conversations with their boyfriends and their boyfriends are making them do all this stuff. And that's not actually really what's happening to a point. I'm, I'm the- sorry,
0: anti-porn people, men are just happy to have sex. They're not yeah. going to be like, I'll only sleep with you if you do this they're just like boobs
2: (laughs) like you know there was some uh, conversation thread in a in a facebook group it's the anti-porn crusaders love to talk about gaping assholes. They love it. Gaping assholes and fisting assholes. They love it. They think that is all porn is these days. And that all these young people are going to see gaping assholes and fisting assholes. And you can tell if somebody is an anti-porn crusader, and I will give you this free tip at home. If they've ever mentioned anywhere in an article about porn, they talk about gaping assholes or fisting assholes. Look, it is it is a genre of porn. It does happen in porn. It is not like the front page of Pornhub if you're opening it up, these big gaping assholes and all these teenagers going, oh, my God, what's that? Like it is so, like anal sex yes, is something that's become very, very common in, in just regular sort of mainstream porn and that is something that I think is something we need to be teaching in and- discussing mm. you know with young people uh, because it is something that a lot of young people are thinking is this expected of me or is it whatever mm. but at the same time we keep sort of framing that anal sex conversation in the sense that uh, you shouldn't have to do it if you don't want to and you know and, and boys are just gonna try and get it a lot of women like it they actually mm. really enjoy it and so we have to start having those conversations mm. as well. Yeah. is beyond that. It's only something that boys want you to do and you don't have to do it because they've seen it in porn and it's disgusting. It's like, if you're curious about that, that's something you should be able to explore uh, without feeling that extra taboo of, oh, am I as dirty and disgusting as blah, 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 blah. It's having these conversations you yeah. right before they are exposed to it, before they get to that stage where they're super super curious about this stuff that they've been hearing about so because they're mm. still going to seek it out they really are you know we all yeah. did as kids to the point of where we could as in my um 90s sort of Gen X generation, it was finding, you know, discarded Playboys hidden in the bush, bush porn. Was it, was yeah, porn was it? Same.
1: <laughs> yes, I remember your thread on that and going, bush I feel like I've missed weird. out on something. No, that
0: was rural country schools, public toilets and, and bushes.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is Canberra, which is kind of a big, small country town. And, yeah, bushes, bush porn. Um, not to be confused with 1970s porn that has full bush because they don't have it anymore. When we're, They still had full bush in porn in the... In the 80s and 90s. But yeah, so people access it. They will find it. They will, yeah. um, you know, discover it. But like I was sort of saying in that discussion before about the zoo and the people magazines, because there's been such a push to get rid of that stuff, which is a real shame, Mm. There is a harder transition place to find that kind of soft core, oh boobs, like kind of you know, young young you know, cis boys are going and buying Cosmos and Cleos for that sort of stuff because mm. Zoo magazine doesn't exist and and Men's Health is more um, and GQ is more male heavy in the um, they'll buy Sports Illustrated for the swimsuit edition like you know that's so they've had to go back in time to the nineties <laughs> and buy that because we don't have the the other service station magazines. It's very much a I think a teenage rite of passage of all teenagers to be curious and to seek out stuff like that. And because we know that and because we've all been there and as much as we might deny it, once we get to this old white conservative weird level where sex suddenly doesn't exist when we were teenagers, we have to remember we are all were curious and so we need to give kids the the tools and the education and information so they can find the right, appropriate Avenues in which yeah. to um, explore their <laughs> stuff
0: And you know that it's a moralistic perspective because none of the data supports their their position
2: Absolutely and they will pick out data that fits what they're trying to say while ignoring the broader study. Of yeah, logic.
1: absolutely. You know, one a lot line with, um, in that study.
2: Or
0: completely misrepresent the data.
2: Yes. And yeah. then they deal with a lot with um, sex work, it's anti-sex mm. work, who are very much the anti-porn crew, you know, they're hand in hand. It's a full circle, swerve and turf. Like it's it's pretty, yeah. um, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. but, yeah, they, so they'll look at, say, the data of, say, um, oh, what's the big one they use with sex work Is is sexual abuse. Is that yeah. you know that all sex workers have suffered some form of abuse and that is why they are sex workers. There are also levels of that as well because when you're looking at say at trauma or um, survival based sex work, it's a very different level and experience to to say in house profile work or you know all sorts. There are different. There is sort of different levels and they take the kind of worst statistics from the lowest or most underprivileged demographic and then kind of extrapolate it and bring it into these, um, you know, like big kind of gotcha data things. Like, you know, one in three sex workers has been abused as a child.
1: As opposed it, to one in four children?
2: Well, that's the thing. It's You look at it and you go, well, that's actually true. But then if you go into a hospital and you survey the nurses or the doctors, or into a school and survey teachers, or anywhere, guess what? It's exactly the same number, because one in three women, Women, one in three have been abused or assaulted or whatever so those numbers they're real numbers but it's not it's the correlation and causation and all that stuff those those numbers are across the board and that is a conversation that's a completely other conversation we need to have about sexual assault and women and young people and all that sort of stuff but you can't sort of go one in three teachers has been abused as a child because it means nothing. Yeah. But as soon as you put it into the frame of sex work, suddenly sex work is bad and sex work is awful and all porn stars are, are you know, abused and drug addicts and all sex workers yeah. are their own pimps and all this sort of, you know, yeah. the key kind of data that, that mm. makes no sense in, in the broader picture of it. But people don't look at the broader picture. And, and these crusaders mm. often have a much larger platform than people like myself who are sitting there going, actually, hi, this is the real study and this actually says this and that sex work decriminalisation is far more better for every sex worker from the you know the survival workers on the street to the million dollar porn stars like it's you know and they just but they will not listen to us it's almost as if the the
0: media in australia has been monopolized by conservative almost
2: almost as if i wonder if there
0: is actually a correlation causation thing going on here i'm not sure i'm just (laughs) going to adjust my tinfoil hat for a moment
1: (laughs) How, how do these anti-porn people expect to help anyone by giving them a criminal record?
2: <laughs> well, see, because they don't actually want to help anyone. They just want to stop the porn and and sweep the porn stars under the rug. And the best way to do that, well, you can chuck them in jail. And while they're there, you can teach them how to sew or you can teach them how to make jewellery. That's a really noble profession for a sex worker to go into. Um, not that I have anything against only against people that sew for a living. But this idea that you are not a decent person if you do this kind of work and so we'll give you another form of manual labour in which you use your body to perform tasks for, for other people, whether it be sewing or whatever, but that one's okay. Um, just a socially acceptable form of exploitation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah rude yeah. bit because, you know, yeah. they're disgusting. Oof, why do you even have them? Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are beautiful all
0: of my bit gorgeous actually yeah,
2: it's, thank you and that's the thing there is no end game and, and and myself and a few other sort of activists especially many a few years ago not so much now but when there's a massive kind of anti porn crusade with your know, melinda tankard recently, getting on there with their and asshole conversations and going after friends of mine and things like that. It was just awful. Tried to say, well, what is your end? What What do you expect to happen? Do you think that the demand will end? Because the demand will always be there because sex is awesome and people want to have it um, mm-hmm. and not everybody can just sort of walk into their partner and go, hey, want to have it. So mm-hmm. we need other forms of being able to get it. So, yeah, it's there is no end game except for stopping all sex that is not, you know, this cis pet monog white bread white picket fence kind of sex for procreation purposes only forgetting the fact that the majority of people do not have sex for procreation they just don't procreation is a side effect of sex it's not the reason people people have sex people have sex because it feels good and it's fun and you know nothing's on tv they don't have sex <laughs> to, make, to make babies that's that's the secondary reason. Or even a thirdary reason. Even if, if we only ever had sex for babies, it would it probably wouldn't feel as good. If that's what sex was just for, it would we yeah. wouldn't have a clitoris. We wouldn't have prostates and and you know erectile tissue and and you know just nerves and and you know it's sensitive nice feeling bits there that would be a very <laughs> different process we do it by osmosis or something like it yeah it feels good and that's why and that's why we do it
0: mm, yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah well you know yeah. wrong it does it feels really good
0: yeah. <laughs> unless <laughs> you're fucking a christian conservative who doesn't know what anything is because they've well, never right. had any
2: education
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's just frustration
2: education you get the better sex you will have and the better sex you will be able to give and the better sex you will be able to receive because that's the thing. Sex is a mutual act of giving yeah. and receiving. And so we have to teach that. We have to teach that, you know, the, the way that we frame sex is like it's something that's done to you or something that yeah. you give away rather than something you share and something you do together. And so I think, you know, it's it's similarly to the way that we need to overhaul the entire sex education yeah. curriculum in places where there actually is a curriculum. We have to overhaul the way that we speak about it and the language that we use and the words that we use. We have to make it nice and pleasant and, you know, <laughs> forget about losing your virginity, your making your sexual debut, you know? It's like yeah, there's all these really positive ways we can spin it. Yeah,
0: particularly on young women's virginity. Not Gen- so much young men Like or young, young boys. Men take it, they're
2: popping yeah. the cherry and they're yeah. getting some and they're, yeah, yeah,
0: notching on the belt. Yeah. That language was around, so when was, like, early 90s, I was like a teenager. Mm. Is that how they still talk about sex now?
2: Sort of. There is, there is sort of, but... There's a big shift to sort of young women speaking like that as well. So getting a lot more assertive about their sex and sexuality in around awesome. that sort of thing, um, mm. at least at least in the way that I'm seeing it. But then I am very lucky, you know, I've got a very kind of awesome young woman that lives in my house and she's got great friends and they're all very sort of sex positive and very sort of open about talking about stuff. And I think, you know, she's very lucky that she's got me as a mum and then the young people that sort of, the parents that I speak to who have bought my book, you know, they're the kind of parents. I yeah. always think the people that are constantly me hey I need to buy my book because like you know your kid probably doesn't need my book they probably need it for terms and for whatever it's the kids whose parents are like
1: you're never going near that
2: evil woman she's dangerous they're the ones that need one yeah <laughs> like, they're the ones that need to be told it's okay and you are normal and you know yeah. um, but I think there's a lot more you know while there is a lot more of that access to the stuff that we don't want these kids to be accessing there is a lot of access to just conversations about it, you know, just a Reddit forum. Just a TikTok is a great source for young people to talk to each other about sex. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of young women on TikTok that are very sexually assertive and it's great to see her talk mm-hmm. about orgasms, they talk about their clearest, they talk about the ineffective, useless things that, that young boys are not understanding and wanting mm-hmm. to, and they're, they're doing it in ways, some are being kind of nasty and bitchy, but um, others are being like, guys, this is what it's all about because it does a disservice to young men as well I think you know they might get that Mm -hmm. initial kind of pop oh I came not understanding that essence of good sex I think is a disservice to to young penis owners and or everything because they're not understanding that sex is far more than you know where ma'am shoot oh made a mess (laughs) like it's it's um yeah so I think yes that conversation of kind of a bit sort of sexually aggressive of popping cherries and getting some, but girls are slightly less passive about it. Mm. They, they understand that they are they are a mutual part of it and they're definitely, especially they're, they're sort, of, um, sort of late high school, sort of early college, sort of year 11, 12 and, and sort of early TAFE kind of ages between sort of say 16 and 19. Mm. From my interactions with them, I definitely knowing they need to know more. And they wish they knew more and they're seeking out now to know more because they weren't given that stuff in, in school. But I think they, they, the boys and, and that sort of masculine sort of side of toxic side of boys getting it and you know don't have to be nice to the girl and treat them mean, keep them keen. I think there's a bit of a shift away from that that I see away from those incel circles. I think there's some really nice young men out there. I'm really excited to see and hear from and talk, you know, because I didn't have a good time with boys at my high school. The boys at my high school were mostly dickheads and they were awful and and i think you know we did a disservice to them as much as we did a disservice to the young women and the young um trans kids in our schools by by not teaching them about this sort of stuff and these Mm -hmm. kids i think are slightly better lessons um, and are able to seek it out themselves
0: yeah just thinking back to the 90s like the the role models that were around as well like people like wayne carey and shane (laughs) Warren, were their heroes (laughs) so what hope did these guys have yeah. Like yeah. what what do you expect people to do when they're told that this is how you treat women and this is how you engage? Yeah. Like not to not to excuse their behavior, but like that's how we can understand it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And we are getting a lot more, you know, that even though we still hear every week there's some other dickhead footballer that's done something stupid and there's some other dickhead, you know, um, commentator that said the wrong thing or a politician, you know, that's raped someone, we are also getting some really nice counter stories on the other side mm. of that of these you know which we didn't have i think before in yeah. the in the 90s you know i mean i'm thinking back to sort of the the nice guys of the 90s and they still weren't all that nice yeah, yeah. you know i'm trying to think who was it like jason donovan in the early 90s was kind of i suppose a bit of a nice God. Craig McLaughlin, we thought Craig McLaughlin. was a nice, guy. and then where we are now, yeah. So I'm just trying to think, you know. But thinking back to the posters of all the boys, I, you know, I was all like metalheads. I was well, metalhead, the metalheads loving, me. but Sebastian Bach and, axel Rose, and you know Lars, and all that sort of stuff, and they were all pretty toxic, you know. When yeah. I think about it, and I don't know what the nice guy role models are. The new Kids on the Block, <laughs> like, and they were still kind of, you know. Yeah, I think you know. I look at say. Kids like Harry Styles, and I just love him. I've got such yeah. a crush on those Styles in a really weird way because I'm like, oh my, I'm old enough to be his mother, so it's probably a really inappropriate crush. Yeah, but it's more a star crush. I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to have sex with him. I just want to kind of, you know, look at him in dresses and go, "You're really cool, man. Keep it up. These kids are gonna, yeah. you know, be better off for having you in their life." <laughs> in in yeah. your as a, as a role model. So, yeah, no, I think there there is definitely a, a counter to that these days that there this wasn't necessarily when, when I was a teenager. It's fantastic.
1: The thing that really annoys me about this discussion and that who's leading this discussion, who's directing this discussion, are people who not only didn't have the internet when they went to school but don't actually understand the internet now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yes. like, you know, porn is out there. It's everywhere. And, you know, it doesn't help with your tankard card to decrying everything as porn. Like, um, yeah, she was yeah, going yeah. on about she was going on about best and leg less catalogs and ads, and just <gasps> going, can you not? Um, but also about you know, like, yeah, the internet has changed so much with how kids communicate.
2: Like, there's so much things that are, oh, I think, inappropriately disgusting and gross that have nothing to do with porn, but they use kind of porny language or porn, 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 porn stuff, and that's okay. And yet mm. the minute you want to actually try and sell some porn or sell some sex, that's not okay. But there's an ad on the radio up here for like I know, farm equipment, diggers and, and stuff, and it is filthy in the double entendres. I feel uncomfortable mm. listening to it on the radio about this sort of, you know, I'll get down and dirty and I'll dig it. I can't even. I, it's just gross. And I just think but I couldn't advertise my book on radio up here, you know, yeah. without yeah. it. Like, find it gross.
0: My whole problem with the whole they're, they're advertising porn to children is that it's such a stupid marketing strategy. Yes. They would not market porn to children. It would be such a waste of money because yes. kids don't have credit cards. Oh, right? yes. That's why they're tar- they target porn at the age brackets where people can actually buy the porn, that's how these sites stay up. That's how they make their money. Exactly. And I'm
1: exactly. pretty sure Google would want to know if their ads were reaching children because of how their algorithm works. Absolutely. Absolutely. To spend millions of dollars
2: because they don't understand porn and they don't understand fetish and they don't understand, I suppose, the cultural yeah. differences in certain, you know, different. Different cultures of sex and porn and exhibitionism and all of that stuff. So they'll look at something, say like like fairies or even even you know your your adult baby or your Lolita type stuff or hentai or and they see it as because hentai was cartoons. Oh, it's marketed for kids. But it's not. It's you know it's a cartoon. You know we we already went through that with South Park. It's not for children, yeah. and you have to be able to take. And they say, well, kids will see it, and it's bright and colourful, and it's like you know that's why they're going to take your you know your ecstasy tablets because they look like lollies, and they're going to take this, and they gonna- It's like again- people talk to their children.
1: Like, no, so these people even see ecstasy tablets because that is very fuzzy skittle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Like- <laughs> that is old. Your kids are yes. probably more likely to throw them out than take them. <laughs> Again, back to that whole argument is it might be Because you don't understand it, you think it's marketed to children because it's bright or it's fluffy or it's got bunnies or it. But I just want to sort of shut it off because you're giving voices to people who have Mm. no idea of what they're speaking about that end up creating policy and end up creating legislation and laws and things like getting half of my friends lost their jobs when People magazine got Mm. shut off purely because. They they reckon that it's, it's perpetuating rape culture. And I'm like, so young women and men consensually removing clothes for money is the absolute antithesis of rape. It's fully consensual. It's done with an understanding that people will see these photos. They've been paid for those photos. The people who are buying the magazines know they are going to be opening a magazine and seeing boobs. It defies logic to me, and yet this is the logic that they use. You can't cry
0: rape culture when the Attorney General is a rapist.
2: Right, right, exactly. You just and don't they do. shut and, up.
0: Yeah, of course,
2: but like no. And, and this this last sort of year of of sexual assault politics, from mm. Brittany Higgins to Christian Porter to wanking on a. Desk for yeah. God's sake! What the fuck? And nothing has happened, and yeah. we're and we're still going after uh, the dirty porn stars and the dirty hookers. It's like of all of the disgusting things that have happened this year, consensual sex between two adults that could have possibly involved the exchange of cash and or goods is so far below scandalous. And yet that is what we focus on. That is what we want to ban. That is what we need to... My kid, knowing that I've written for for porn magazines and that I've been a sex worker in my life and I've been all that, it's so less damaging to her than, say, finding out that your dad is a possible alleged rapist and has covered it up. And yet I'm probably, you know, the one that they would call human services on if they they have a leg to stand on because, who i had sex a couple of times it's
0: so weird and infuriating to me it feels like what they want to do is control women's bodies Mm -hmm. and women having agency over their own sexuality Mm. but also the thought that women also profit off sex they just they're just like you're not supposed to be able to control your body or your sex we profit off your body we profit off it yeah not you
2: (laughs) And, yeah, and there's this saying that in the sex industry, and I can't, I don't know who originally said it. And it's a fantastic quote, and I love it. And I one day will have it emblazoned on a t-shirt with the with the sort of credit to who it's due. But there's a thing that we say that is um, around conservative, usually conservative politicians, is that they are jerking off with their left hand and pointing in judgment with their right. The most highly conservative Christian anti-gay crusaders are always the ones that are photographed coming out of gay clubs. They're always, you know, the anti-sex work ones are always the ones caught with their pants down in the alleyway with the sex worker, you know, because they won't, you know, pay for a fucking hotel room because they're cheap-ass scum. Like it's so frustrating. It's just, oh, you've got this real kind of hypocrisy of we're going to make laws and we're going to ban you and we're going to put you in jail oh, but can you quickly suck my dick before I close the door? Yeah. That's gross. Yeah. The the sex workers and the porn stars and the, you know, the, the, the performers are the ones who are then vilified and treated like they're some kind of scum where all they're doing is just trying to can pay rent and be able to afford a Netflix subscription. Like, well, that's all we've wanted to do is eat <laughs> and watch TV. Leave us alone. Fuck. Let me live. <laughs> Let
0: me live. And adding some
1: internet to that list. It's it's so
0: funny. Like you're either like engaging in sex work and a horrible person. You're like, okay, well, give me another job. Like Steph said before, they criminalise you. Like, no, you've got a record for soliciting. No, no one's going to hire you. So you go on on unemployment and you earn like shitty money and then you're once again victimised. And you're like, oh, you can't provide for your children. You're like, I was. I (laughs) was.
1: Sorry. Also, reverse image search exists. What? Reverse image search exists. In yeah. what sense? So if, if your face appears in in videos and, and pictures, you can reverse image search people who are um, who have been sex workers in the past. Mm. And they do Corporations do do it
2: A school teacher Once did a shoot In a Playboy And oh You're gonna Get rid of her But forget about The fact that the Football team Just raped a young woman You know The the teacher got her boobs Out in the 80s The the double standard Between sort of Women and men Sexuality And girls and boys When it comes to That sort of High school stuff It's not even going Into the You know The the conversation About trans And non-binary And kids who Are are just completely Left out of the Conversation when It comes to sex education um, and and conversations about bodies and and appropriate touching and who to talk to and who to go. Just the fact that that awful group, the anti-safe schools group, went after safe schools purely because they had an affiliation with minus eighteen and minus eighteen on their website had information about binding and information about that, which is so important and necessary, Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with safe schools. And that was one of the big anti anti anti-safe schools thing was the whole well they're going to teach trans kids to off their dicks and fuck's sake it is so insulting and frustrating and it just makes me really sad as well like I just get really sad how one kid wanting to bind their breasts because they just don't know quite yet how they feel about it Mm -hmm. because that's usually where we are at when we're talking about young teens kind of going through this they're kind of still trying to figure it all out that this this is the hill you want to die on to to stop a young person from fully exploring who what why where how they feel when you yeah. had free reign to do that in your cishet fucking body like I just it really really angers me that some of the most vulnerable kids in our society are treated so poorly for nothing more than just wanting to exist and feel yeah. slightly more comfortable in their own skin than they, than they might already it's its something that you know I, I pushed very, very heavily for when I'm talking about sex education is this needs to be and it's inclusive and intersectional. And it has to be because, you know, as much as I say, gosh, we need good sex education when it comes to cis sex editor that I got for, for me as a sort of, you know, cis person knowing, you know, with, with all my bits working and all my everything. Well, I got great, great, great compared to the, the trans kids in my class and the non-binary mm. kids in my class. And and then going to the, you know, the, the the gay kids in my class that, you know, it was years until I realised what was going on with my sort of sexuality. I was like, oh, mm. dick, all right, I guess I'm, that's what I'm supposed to like, I like dick. You know, we say that sex education is bad. Yeah, it's it's super, super bad for a whole group of, of young people that, that are just so ignored in that conversation. Mm. Yeah. Makes me angry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, look hard same
0: <laughs> it's literally why I started this podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so sick of like political discourse that was framed around like cis white men yes
2: because there's so much more in the world yes. than a cis white man and uh. you know in every cis white man in my life it's so funny because you know I get on the, the internet and people are like oh you must oh, you hate men and all the men and I've got you know my um you know my my ex-husband who I who I live with um, and my my boyfriend, who who I don't live with, both cis het men, and they both just like fucking white men, man, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, it's that whole do you ever white people? Oh my god, even though you are white people, white like people. They, they are, yeah. you know, they get it, you know. And I think and I think the good thing is that a lot more are getting it and are able to be vocal about getting it. So for every fucking Shapiro, there are a few really. Good strong voices of cis males coming out and saying we yeah. need to step back from the conversation. Yeah, you know, it, it's but, hard. But when it's they a,
0: say that they're going to step back, that they actually step back. That they
2: actually do.
0: Because or, or <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's the a lot of cis, cis white men else. being like, oh, men suck. Men are so
2: bad. And they yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: exclude them from the Let me tell you
2: about it for three hours on my podcast with my other three <laughs> white men. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Let me yeah. tell you about <laughs> how bad <laughs> things are for women. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But and the thing is it's true, it's not even a joke. Like it
0: it yeah. actually happens. Like the laughter yep. is masking tears. <laughs> yeah. It's okay.
1: funny because it's true. Yeah. One <laughs> thing one thing I really actually, you know, and you mentioned it about binding and of going one of the one of the classic anti-trans arguments um uh, is that, for example, there are a lot of assigned female people at birth who go on to transition and the numbers are exponentially expanding. It isn't really. It's just normalizing with what we have seen in other parts of the world. But, like, it just, it it confounds me of basically going, oh, but it's related around sexual trauma. Mm. Well, why not have better sex ed? Reduce that trauma. If you're that concerned about people transitioning who might not be trans, wouldn't a more comprehensive sex education program reduce that
2: Yeah, it absolutely would as much as would also reduce teen pregnancies, teen assault, all of that sort of stuff that we talk about or we can't teach children about sex or young teens about sex because they'll go out and have it or because they're they're already going out and having it. They're having it in ways that they're not doing it safely and they're not understanding if we do not speak to young people about their bodies and the the psychology of of bodies and dysmorphia and and how we feel about ourselves and self-esteem and all of that you're right there is we, we're probably going to see more and more people very confused about it because there's such mixed messages and just sort of have this comprehensive curriculum that is, is the same everywhere And we're all getting the same lessons And we're all getting the same kind of information And, and catching up to adults on it as well That's why I encourage the grown-ups to read my book Because I'm like, you, you need to know what, you, what I'm telling well,
1: them Well, yeah. And also for some of them It's the first book that they've ever gotten That, is, that contains accurate information Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. since <laughs> my, like, my where parents, did we come from?
1: <laughs> my mum pulled me aside Basically going, I'm supposed to give you this talk And I just can't do it And then just handed me this book my That was the was entirety like of my wildlier. sex education <laughs>
0: Just sat I'm- me down. This is it. Every month is just like, have you got your period yet? And I'm just like, dad. Oh no! <laughs> this is the best way to wash the blood out. And I'm just like, fucking dad.
2: <laughs> but see, how good is that though? In it's a way, it's so good. It's so good. And I think I'm you just know- impressed
1: that your dad knows how to get blood out of the laundry.
2: So
0: well, he's just asked for a cement mixer for, for his birthday. So I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Sorry, he's he's landscaping the backyard. That's
2: why. I just think, you know, I look at people who who similar to myself had open, you know, educational sex ed from my parents that were I don't remember full-on sitting down with my mum or dad and having the talk. And I remember there are a few things when I think about it now, I'm like, wow, I had really weird ideas about how babies were made until I found out, until I watched Where Did I Come From in, you know, Grade 5 or something mm. um, and learned about sort of, you know, eggs and sperm and the way it works. I You know, I had this idea that girls could only get pregnant if they were having their period and boys could only get pregnant if they were having what I, was, I termed in my head as a sort of seven-year or eight-year-old as a sperm leak. Because I'd heard of wet dreams. I knew what a wet dream was. So I put that together. So it had to be this kind of serendipitous moment of both at the same time, kind of having these things that only happened randomly. And that was that was my understanding for a long time of how babies were made. But I think, mm. but I understood bodies. My parents mm. were very sort of open in the sense that I think nudity was not a bad thing it wasn't a sexual thing either that was just a thing you just had a body Mm -hmm. and that was in context you kind of kept your skeleton yeah yeah um and they also were very sort of you know a lot of uh, the first naked body I ever saw that wasn't say my dad was the life of Brian (laughs) <laughs> <of Brian>. Oh, <laughs> my God, same. <laughs> <laughs> he opens up the double door after his, you know, and all everyone's out there going, the Messiah, the Messiah, and he's just standing there full naked. And I just remember going, oh, naked, but not thinking anything of it. And years yeah. later, watching up with a friend and then going, oh, my God, and being really offended by this dick on screen. It's something I'd been watching my entire life that I remember. And I just think, gosh, do people think that my parents showed me porn because I saw Graham Chapman's dick on the screen when I was eight or something? Yeah, the thing that impacted me the most about that movie was not the penis it was um no. it was the fact that they, they all leave him on the cross at the end and I sobbed uncontrollably for about two days after watching the life of Brian because I didn't understand why they'd left him on the cross and, you know everyone comes to see him: his mom his girlfriend his friend they all leave him yeah but the dick yeah didn't bother me
0: no <laughs> yeah
2: another tangent sorry
0: no that's that's, i love life with brian um a book that because i've got a nine-year-old and a book that we used to read to isabel um was everybody's got a bottom have you yes that, yeah it's so yeah. good they're yeah. great yeah. There's, there's some really good resources out there like for young kids to teach them like age appropriate consent
2: when people get really weird about talking to kids you know about sex and about bodies it's like kids will pretty much only ask what they want to know you don't actually yeah. have to go into that much detail a yeah. lot of the time how did how did you know you've got a three-year-old and and, and you're pregnant with the next one and the 3 year how did the baby get in there oh well you know mummy and daddy made the baby together that might be all they want to know mm-hmm. you don't have to go into this they'll, they'll ask another question if they want to know you know but surely you should have already told your child that they have a penis or a vagina.
0: Yeah. And
2: and just know that mummy has has one and daddy has one and your whatever is the situation yeah. in your house or family. And so by the time you're getting to the sense of, well, these are what these body parts are for. You know, your your tongue is for tasting things and your nose is for smelling things and your hands are for touching things and your genitals are for going for the toilet and for making babies. Mm. And, you know, and that also yeah. can feel good, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we do that in the bathroom or in the bedroom. There are age-appropriate ways yeah. to talk to your kids about absolutely everything from sex to death to everything. You know, I had to explain... To my child at the age, right age of about, gosh, how old were they? About seven or eight. My my best friend committed suicide, and she was like a second mum to my mm. to my daughter and to her child. And we had to sit down and tell these two very young children about depression and suicide. And, and death. Mm. and we can have those conversations with young people in an appropriate way, so that they kind of understand something that's quite incomprehensible, even for adults, I suppose, to understand, and we can tell them that their genitals are for weeing and babies and sometimes they might feel nice if you touch them and it might feel nice if somebody else touches them when you're a bit older and when you've got, you know, and we can have these grown-up conversations with kids. We we just shouldn't be frightened of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm. Knowledge is power and it's so important to provide people, kids, adults, everyone, with that. full spectrum of information for their capacity so that they can go on to make informed choices
2: and power is absolutely the right word there because this idea of secrets with kids you know that that's Mm. where you know you come in with these groomers and this stuff you know not being able to go and say to to mum or dad or teacher, you know, this is what happened and be able to use the appropriate words for it because the mm. stories I've heard from people, teachers and counsellors and the most awful story I heard was years ago I was doing a class called Sexuality in the Sand It was looking at talking to young people about their bodies and talking about in, in the childcare setting, so very young kids, sort of mm. under, under four or five. And this t- educator telling us the story of a little girl that went up to her teacher and said, you know, Billy keeps trying to touch my koala bear. And the teacher saying, it's nice to share our things. That's fine. Mm. It's okay. And, I mean, that's another conversation, that consent of your toys or whatever. But mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't until things got really full on that she realised what the conversation initially had been. And what so you've got now these yeah. conversations, you've got this poor teacher that's like, holy shit, I went and told her that that was okay because yeah. I didn't know she was talking about her vulva. I thought mm. she had a bloody toy koala bear that Billy wanted to play with. And I thought it might be nice in the first few weeks of prep to share your toys with a kid that you don't know. But it's like, so you've got this poor little girl who's been told this is okay. You've got a teacher who's going, uh, a parent that's like, it's just this whole where if she had been told that is your vulva or that is your vagina or even base term like wee wee or pee pee or, or something. Who the fuck
0: calls it a koala bear? Yeah, Come on
2: koala bears possums flowers yeah oh there are some Um, really and we need to do away
0: with this whole thing that vaginas are like flowers vaginas are fucking strong they are so strong (laughs) and adaptable (laughs) like the things that vaginas can do and i mean like the actual vaginal canal can do the shit out of a flower a flower would be decimated. <laughs> like, fuck off. God. I
2: know. Sorry, that's bad. Exactly. My rant. <laughs> and these they, are good. I like them. I like them. But yeah, if she'd gone up and said, Billy keeps trying to touch my vulva. Immediately, yes. immediately, there would have been a stop to that. And I don't know. I do know some older conservative women that would have been like, what's a vulva? <laughs> well, yeah, possibly. But. You know, it's, this, you know, language and appropriate language and appropriate talking and, and all that stuff is something that is yeah. just so easy to do. We we treat children and, and young people like they're stupid and even yeah. people that in the old days, you know, and I don't like that term that would have been called, you know, I mean I work with people that would have been in the old terms called stupid because I work with people with disabilities but even they understand, you know. I yeah. mean it's just it's not, it is not a hard concept to tell somebody this is your body, nobody but you can touch it and this is what that body Body part is called. Like that is literally all we're trying to sort of say to people at the moment is the vulva, testicles, penis, breasts, nipples, tongue, elbow, toenails. These are your body bits, and nobody can touch that without your permission.
1: You know, I grew up when Jurassic Park was released, and the amount of kids back then who could name a whole bunch of different dinosaur names. Mm. Like, if you can say Archaeonithomimus, I'm pretty sure that we can teach kids how to say vulva.
2: Yes. I remember a friend of mine saying, "But it's just an ugly word." I'm like, "No, it's oh. not. It, it's no more ugly than well than any word, really. It's just you've got an ugly association with it because mm-hmm. we have been told for years that it's an ugly word and it's an ugly thing and it's ugly, 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 ugly. It's not a, shame, shame, you know, shame, it's shame. not. Yeah. It's like, say, look at the say the word spinster, which is another one, of the, you know, this term that's got these really weird sort of negative, ugly connotations to it, and really all it just meant is a woman who." Made her own money, spitting threads. Power to the spinster, you know. But it's got this yes. ugly. You, you can't be a single woman, and you can't be a, you know. And therefore, it's become, you know, like crone, like hag. These words are actually quite beautiful words. Um, we should reclaim them. Like cunt, yes. reclaim it. Yay! I love the word cunt. Yes. It's my I'm favorite sorry. word. Yeah, it's my favorite word in the world. Yeah. As a as a thing, as an insult, as a as an affirmation, as a term of endearment. It's such a versatile word, such like a great it is, word.
0: and it just sounds good, doesn't it? Just, it? Yeah. it's great. Yeah, it is. I yeah. used to be very anti the word cunt until my friend Kirsty Mack was just like, "Just stop it, Leah. Why do you hate it so much?" And I'm like, "I don't know." And it turns out because I'm massive prude. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so, it's so liberating.
2: I don't
1: know. Even massive prudes will still say things like dick. Yeah. yeah. And when did and when did that become the neutral response?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. There is no word that associates male genitalia to something that we have tried to associate, or that the patriarchy or whatever have tried to associate that disgustingness of cunt to yeah. either. Mm. Like there is just no equivalent, which is why I think it's such a such a powerful, strong word, yeah. and the reason it's so reviled and so hated is so obvious. It's because women are, and so therefore we are all powerful, beautiful, incredible creatures. So are our cunts. Even us cunts that don't have cunts, we're all amazing, you know. <laughs> with this whole kind of
0: even I those just, cuntless cunts, just, <laughs> the same thing,
2: you know. As yeah. well as a as well as a body part, as well as a brilliant insult, and as well as a term of endearment, you
1: know. Cunt, it is,
0: cunt is a philosophy. It's a way it of is,
2: life. It
1: is, it is. Everything aside, the thing that that frustrates me about a lot of these conversations about got, everyone actually has the genes for all of these. Yeah, so everyone. Everyone deep down has got a hard coded cut in their um in their DNA.
2: The evolution of genitalia, just in its kind of developmental stages, it's it's a
1: fork looking thing. You you know, know, it's, like it's, it's a tail, a grows dinosaur going for a walk.
2: Figure into the penis, and then the you got the mm. vestibules down in there with the testicles and the blah blah blah. Or it grows slightly inwards, and you get the clitoris and the vulva vestibules and mm. the and all that. It's it it's the same picture. Mm. It's just. Mm. It's that weird little funny walking dinosaur thing. Yeah. It all looks the same, just the glands are slightly smaller when you've yeah. got a clitoris than you do if you have a penis. But they're all starting at the same base part. Yeah. And we're all cunts, really.
1: It's the thing of going, like, even in, from a developmental point of view of going, the amount of people who are like, oh, well, women don't have prostates. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Except they used to be named after a man. Did you ever hear that conversation that, that or, or see those threads that I, I've been involved with? Leah?
0: This is news <laughs> to me because okay. you were involved in multiple threads. True. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there was a there's a gland from external appearance around the vulva, this looks like two lumps and it used to be called the skeins gland. Mm, it's where the square. from. The skein yeah, in all people. Um, but the skeins gland used to be called analgamous to prostate prostatic tissue except it is actually the same under a microscope Mm -hmm. from its gene expression it is a prostate and it's only been recently that we have decided to rename it because the idea of it being named after a dude is just a bit weird
2: like Poucher Douglas and like most other things that are named after men. The G-Spot, you know, and this is my big, the G-Spot originally was supposed to be called the Whipple Tickle and I'm not even making it up. Right? <laughs> because there were two doctors who wrote about the G-Spot and one was Dr. Beverly Whipple, who was a woman, and she was like one of the main doctors. And then Dr... I can't even say his name and I feel very terrible, but it's a long, I think it's a German or Austrian name, starts with G. She said, I don't want it to be called the Whipple Tickle, somebody else takes the name. And so he, they called it the G spot after him, even though it's a its a vaginal vaginal canal, erectile tissue area part sort of there. But it was going to be called the Whipple Tickle. And I still, I I petitioned to call it the Whipple Tickle after Beverly Whipple, Dr. Beverly Whipple, who wrote the first scientific paper on the G-spot. But, yeah, they're all named after men. Men's yeah. bit men's. Petition.
1: a lot of them have been renamed and if you go oh, to good. there's a central reference text for uh, anatomy and oh, you know like skeins is now actually referred to it as the female prostate
2: i wrote an article a while ago about squirting and and where it comes from and, and the science behind it which is really hard because there's not a lot of science behind it because i think the major study recently that they did that was like well you know we're conclusively deciding that squirt is piss because oh we we got nine women and we got them to squirt and then we decided <laughs> to that's pretty much the study the study that everyone cites that says no no the recent study by such and such doctors I think it involved something like it's it it might be slightly higher number than nine but not much like it's really small test group it's there wasn't a proper base they didn't have a urine test to start they didn't have this but looking at the science of what I know of it and, and what I've read of it and there's sort of few doctors and gynos and people that I follow that kind of talk about it yeah it's It's a completely different substance, but because it can come really close to the urethra and sometimes out of the urethra rather than just from the gland, the skeins or or the prostate from the side, it's going to have urine in it, similar Mm -hmm. to male cum will have urine in it because it's come Mm -hmm. out of the bloody same hole that the urine yeah. came out of. But and our bodies not are me. not as
1: self-cleaning as as people like to pretend.
2: No, no. Look, some parts can be are better than others. Our mouths and our vaginas are a little bit better than others, but they still need a bit of assistance.
1: <laughs> yeah, you need to flush them out every so often. <laughs> that's
2: right. That's why we brush our teeth. And that's yeah. why we, you know, we take care of things. You don't need to douche your vag, but you've got to look after it. Like, yeah. there are moments where you might need to douche. And, and you know, I had this one I go, oh, she bought some lube. And it was like um, a sensation lube, so it had the, oh. the yeah. So some has menthol in it, it's a cooling sensation, and some has like capsicum in it, it's a warming sensation. And some of them are really lovely, and some people really like them. Anyway, she tried one, and it was a burny hot one, and she and she could not get. It. I'm like, you're gonna you're gonna have to douche it out, like. Yeah. And I and that's, she's like, you've told me never ever to do, you know, <laughs> if it's one, burning to get the Bernie Bernie out of the vag. Yeah. Douche. Fine. it's not going to really... Yeah, are... I mean,
1: risk-fee risk, risk fee benefit right there. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, I mean, the, if you're drinking the... every day, then, yeah, you're going to have issues there. But, you know, there might be moments where you need to flush out the ouchie, ouchie loop.
1: <laughs> the pouch she of Douglas lube. has been renamed the recto-uterine pouch.
2: Is that right? Yes. Has anyone told about against me?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be in our next special. <laughs> um,
1: it's, uh, oh, just every time something gets renamed, it just becomes boring and clinical sounding
2: yeah why can't they name it like you know the alicia's at it? hey that would work Because it's this kind of space that sort of give it a nod to sort of vague 90s pop groups or something <laughs> I'm, I'm i want to join the committee for renaming body bit cool thing <laughs> we could just do our own version <laughs> yeah true although that's where we get into koala bear territory and start confusing people <laughs> true all yeah. right no oh, fuck. Uh
1: in science, yeah. you either name for something by the, what it looks like, by what it does, or after yourself.
0: Yeah.
2: Very cool.
1: Yeah.
0: So can logic. we just name everything after me then?
1: Yeah. yeah. So,
2: well, this is my <laughs> Eva heart, but, and, and this is my Eva knee, and my <laughs> Eva butt, and, yeah, they're all my Eva bits. <laughs> I think we'll
0: wrap up here. Uh, thank you so much, Eva. This has been a very enlightening and hilarious conversation.
2: Yeah, it has been oh. so much fun. I love it. <laughs> thank you
0: i think i'm gonna take hardened cunt to like yeah (laughs) anyway (laughs) um so if people want to hear more from you where can they find you and your book and your websites Um, and all that stuff
2: so i'm usually ranting over on twitter a lot um and my handle at twitter is at deliciously bad and I'm this sort of politics and sex ed and a lot of I watch a lot of tv so I kind of talk about what I'm watching on tv you know so that's fun um no <laughs> it's really fun um and then I've got my book which is called um a teen girl's guide to getting off um and it is available pretty much anywhere online that you can buy good books and bad books as well. <laughs> um, and there's actually it's, it's in a few shops around Melbourne as well. But there's not a not a not a lot of bricks and mortars have it yet. I'm trying to sort of get it there. Okay. Um, and then you can just sort of find me around the place um, in various sort of Facebook groups and um, Instagram. I think I'm just Eva Sless on Instagram. And then there's sort of just not much on there. I forget about Instagram a lot. <laughs> yeah. And if I do it's using pictures of me trying to look sexy or something, because you know I'm, I, I've only got a few more years yet before I get old and grey. So <laughs> oh I got the boobs and the cheekbones. I'm going to go for it now. Yeah, Not <laughs> no, I'll do it when I'm old and gross. But yeah, so you can find me at Deliciously Bad on Twitter, and um, yeah, the book is. Teen Girls Guide to Getting Off. And it is, I do like to tell people it is sort of cis sexually focused purely because I am cis. Um, and it is based a lot around my own experiences and a lot of my own kind of knowledge has come from my own experiences as a as a sort of cis female and as a sex worker and as all that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. there are some really great sections in that for g- gay and lesbian kids, for trans kids, for non-binary kids. It's all kind of been put together by people that I know and trust who who sort of identify in those areas as well so but it's it's great and I've had some like I said at the beginning I can't believe some of the some of the feedback I've got I had one dad who is raising a young trans boy and he bought the book for his boy and he kind of changed the cover so instead of a teen girl's guide to getting off he wrote it said a trans boy's guide Aww. to getting off and so it got all the information in and everything and it's still quite you know it's got a lot of yeah. kind of she her kind of cis normative language in it but just the fact that his dad had bought it for him that way, and it's just—it's just got—it's just, got, just information on sex yeah, and beautiful. pleasure, and everything that you won't learn at school in sex ed. Yeah, it's it's great and it's funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> <What> funny,
0: <we laughs> <think> you're funny. <laughs> right, again, thank you so much for for coming. And um, Steph, can you do the the bit because I can never do the bit properly.
1: Yeah, the bit the bit where we plug ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to the context. <laughs> <clears throat> Not built Which in the context. <laughs> I no, I just can't. <laughs> Brain died, but right. it has been so. It has been so great having you here. Yeah, thank you so. Please much. come back.
2: Oh, I would love to. I would love yes. to. Like I was saying to you when we first met, you know, I totally love the sound of my own voice, and so I'll always, <laughs> you know, jump on podcasts and radio shows. But um, but it's also awesome to jump on podcasts and radio co- shows that I like, love, and that I identify with, and that yeah. speak to me. Like I, I. Yeah, I I would love to come back. I've Yay. enjoyed being loud and angry and um and feminist. It's great. Thank you. And not apologetic. And oh no, no sorry. no, sorry, no.
0: And if you want to know the bit that we say at the end, go listen to the end of other episodes. <laughs>